Welcome to The Hidden World of Women, a podcast brought to you by Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. My name is Emma and I'll be your host for today's episode. Today I'm joined by another amazing woman. I'm joined by Brie. Now Brie is, she's a coffee lover. She loves her job in client relations. She's clumsy. She's funny. She's a little bit inappropriate, so I'm really looking forward to that. She's a wife and she's a mum of two and she describes herself as just a regular person. So thank you so much for joining me today, Brie. No problems. It's good to be here. Yeah. So um, it's really great. It's really great to have you here. So today we're going to be talking about, um, I hate to say your journey with, but I find myself kind of going that way. So you have two children. Yes. And your parenthood journey didn't go exactly as you had planned. No, no. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, mum of two boys and, um, you know, we had our boys like quite close together in age. So when I was, uh, my eldest son was seven months old, we uh, conceived the second and, um, you know, did the two under two journey. And before my youngest son, Ari's second birthday, uh, we found out that he was diagnosed with a rare uh, neuromuscular condition, um, which is called the LMNA gene mutation, which resulted in him having muscular dystrophy or a, a type of congenital muscular. I know I'm throwing a lot of words at you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, he's, he's a part of the, the MD family. Uh, there's many different umbrellas that sort of sit underneath that. And from there, yeah, we realised that our lives were going to, you know, we were going to be on a different trajectory to what we were hoping and what we thought. I think you just, everyone says when you have children, you know, you just wish that they're happy and healthy and we've got the happy ticked. Um, The healthy, I mean, look, it's it's a day-by-day thing, Um, but in in terms of spirit, um, we couldn't have asked for a, a happier child, so... So, look, two under two is challenging. Mm. Um, So my my oldest two are 17 months apart and it is challenging having two close together. Uh, And then on top of that, your youngest child. um, So how did you know to start looking looking into what this was? Sure. So it started out... From the age of about six months when, you know, you really start developing that strength to start crawling and start doing all of those things that six-month-olds do, um, it just wasn't something that he was having a bar of. Um, Tummy time was like an absolute no. Um, All of those sorts of things um, that like his brother had done and had done, you know, at the milestones that you're supposed to do things, um, we were like... Okay, so like some things like, I mean, I just sort of was like, you know, he's just a bit of a lazy little dude and he's <laughs> yeah. just going to, like, he'll get there. Like I've read stories of kids not walking until they're three and all yeah. of this sort of thing. But I think as well, like, he would go to daycare and, you know, you'd pick him up and he would be, like, really floppy in the head. And so I think, like, it was seeing other people's reactions to him because when it's your own kid, you, you're kind of a little bit blinded even though you sort of know something's up. But you see them all the time. It's not until you see other people's reactions, you're like, okay, maybe it's a little bit more than what we thought. But we ended up, he had a breathing episode at daycare one day, like where he was, um, you know, not getting enough oxygen. It was like a bit of viral induced wheezing. Mm. Um, And we ended up taking him to the hospital 
and they were like, you know, he was about 13 months old at this stage and they were like, there is a lot more going on than just like viral-induced poisoning. You guys need to be looking into this. And that's sort of where our journey began with neurologists and testing and, um, you know, that's when we sort of went on that journey of, you know, um, some of the testing was extremely invasive and quite awful and I wouldn't wish it upon any parents. Like the testing for cerebral palsy where they sort of stick a probe into your muscle uh, and it releases, you know, things that fire. I mean, that was just, oh, awful absolutely awful um but we had no idea what he had we knew something it was something but we didn't know what um and we waited about six weeks for his bloods to be tested for the uh, like dna no not dna like the genetic testing genetic testing yeah yeah to to be run and we were told uh by the neurologist at the time like she was basically convinced he had um spinal muscular atrophy and she was like based on sort of how he gets around she would she was guessing he was type two so we went away from that appointment like okay our son's got sma there's like these treatments like spinraza treatments and all these things so we were sort of like we'd geared ourselves up and we'd mourned over that diagnosis and um, to come back six weeks later with a totally different diagnosis, like we started that mourning process all over again yeah. um, and just had to start the research. Okay, it's not this, park that, it's this thing and like let's let's now do our research. Like what can you do? Oh, wait, there's nothing for this. There's no treatment oh. for this particular type of MD Um you know, he, he's, he can't have the steroids and stuff that like Duchenne boys would have because he never had the muscles there to start with and all of this. Sort. So it's not like it's a different type of like degeneration and a different, completely different family of, of muscular dystrophy. So it's, um, it's a very isolating um, experience, even with how rare his type is within the MD umbrella. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's like nothing we've experienced before, that's for sure. And fingers crossed you don't have to experience it again. But but yeah. so going back all the way back to that appointment, you'd taken him to the hospital because he was having some wheezing. Mm. What was it like to hear, you know what, there's something else going on here and you need to be more concerned than perhaps you thought? I don't know. I think it was just highlighting something that my husband and I already suspected. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess if he'd have been our first child, we probably wouldn't have had that baseline to, to, you know, gauge it from, but just having his brother, just, you know, 16 and a half months old, similar age to your two. um, We were like, okay, like it's like we knew, but we didn't, we didn't think it was anything too serious. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a, a wake up call, but it was just like, at the same time, it was like, well, there's nothing you can do about it. You're just going to have to, I mean, there was definitely that grieving period, grieving over, you know, my child's going to be in a wheelchair and, you know, his life's going to be far more difficult. And, you know, you worry about them getting bullied and invited to, you birthday know, birthday parties, parties and, and all of those little things. Yeah. It's amazing so that it's far, those it's, things that, that yeah. almost tip you over the edge, isn't it? You know, yeah. will they be able to go to a normal school? Will they, 
will yeah. they connect with other people? How are people going to, you know, will they see the diagnosis before they see my child? Exactly. All of those you know, things. Will they get married one day? Mm. Will they get to have their own kids? And all of those just things that I know that they probably seem really menial and, you know, they're, they're just all the things that started wearing around in my head personally. And, and so that's where the grief side of it sort of came from, just all of those little things that, you, you, you wish for your kids, you know, as they're growing up and the things that they get to experience and going on holidays and, you know, all of those things. So now it's like, okay, if we go on holidays, how how good are the, the verges and yeah. how good is, you know, the maneuverability? Like, do we need to take the wheelchair or do we need to take him in a pram so that we can lift Actually it? Actually get and, up and down on the, yeah. Yeah, and, and that sort of, so that's sort of how we navigate things now. It's like, how safe is it? <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, and that's yeah. probably, you know, I guess I've seen some of the, some of the progress for the, because how old is Ari now? He's seven. He's seven. So you've been going through this for, sort of around six years yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and yeah five years in March so yeah five, almost five, five and a half years yeah and you through that time you've gone through the diagnosis process you've gone through um, the grieving process but there's the practicalities of, as well so while he's little you go oh well can I take a pram do I need to take a pram or can we take the wheelchair but mm how does that work when he's 22 exactly so we've we've got our ways we've managed to just adapt with bits and pieces so like he is seven at this stage but he still weighs the same as a two-year-old like he's only 12 kilos so he's like tall and lanky and very thin uh, and he's easy to, at this stage, we sort of put him in like a kid's hiking carrier. Yeah. So if we're like going off track, um, we'll take him in that. And I got that idea from um, watching some people who were adults take their male friend who had a neuromuscular condition on places all over the world and they took turns carrying him. And I was like, well, if they can do it with a grown man, there's no reason why we can't do that with Ari. So we make it work. Yes. Yeah definitely more challenging mm-hmm. we have to you know if we book in a tour you know we went up to Broome in April for the school holidays and I had to you know contact people and go look this is the case you know on this boat we're going to have he's going to be in a pram or we're going to have a carrier and is this going to be okay and so we have to you can't just book things online like everyone else. Can't just um, go. Oh, look! It's a Groupon. It's nice and cheap. Let's just yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah, you've got to do your research, and you've got to make sure that you know it's all going to align. That you know there's no terms and conditions where, you know, there's going to be heads whacking around, and you know yeah. that sort of thing. And so, yeah. Have there, have there been times where you have turned up for things and it hasn't been as accessible as in people's attitudes haven't made that accessible for your family? I don't believe so. I feel like we try to research as much as we can before we go to places. And so far we've been okay. I think uh, we went to one accommodation, which was in Mandra, uh, where we just booked an Airbnb and it turned out to um, be like an upstairs place with oh. no lift. And so so it was fine. We just left the wheelchair in the car yeah. overnight and just, you know, him being so small, we carried him up the stairs and yeah. he's a bottom shuffler. So he can still sort of get around like wiggling on his bottom and um, it was fine. You know, yeah. while he's still so little and, 
it's doable. So no is to answer your question, not yet. (laughs) How exhausting is that, all of that research that you have to do before you can leave your house? Yeah, it is a little. Honestly, I'm used to it now. So like it doesn't really feel, it doesn't really feel like too much work, but then we haven't taken on any major travel yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know like if we were to plan a big trip overseas or something, that's going to look a lot different especially as he gets older and he'll be like, mum, I'm eight or nine. Yeah. I don't want to go on a pram anymore. It doesn't yeah. matter if I fit in there. I'm not a baby. But he hasn't he hasn't reached that just yet. So while he's still so little, honestly, we're just taking advantage of that and yeah. just um, we'll put him in the easy pram for as long as possible until he, you know, decides that. And look, you know, to be too, fair, we, too cool for that. <laughs> we took our family on a um, big holiday and we'd taken a pram for our youngest who probably shouldn't have been in a pram, but still it was for my ease. We all took turns being in that pram, all of us, <laughs> including my parents. So yeah. you never know, you could get away with it for a bit longer. Um, yeah. But I, think, I think it's different because obviously we didn't need to be in it. And so it was a novelty, whereas it can get difficult as they get bigger, can't it? Yeah. So what has the process been like as far as how – how does your life as a mum of two look different to, I guess, how you thought it would? Obviously, navigating the NDIS. I mean, I, that, that was four letters that I didn't think were going to be in my, you know, <laughs> vocabulary in that way. Um, and you've done that with some sanity left? Uh, it has its moments. Uh, for the most part, I would say it hasn't been the friendliest experience uh, in terms of, you know, you're applying for a wheelchair and they're like, well, why can't he use a manual wheelchair? And Mm. we're like, well, have you seen his arms? (laughs) Like he can't push a manual wheelchair. We would love for him to be able to push a manual wheelchair. It's just not physically possible. Mm. So just, I guess, um, depending on which worker you have that's assessing him we usually bring him because we're like unless you see him you're gonna assume that he's got Duchenne muscular dystrophy or one of these other types where there's the ability still to potentially walk for a while and you know children of the same age so he's just like in a different in a different ball game Mm. um so yeah we, we bring him along and that seems to help um them go in their you know in their assessment questions like why does he need to have x y and z but yeah, it's it's been hard. Uh, we've had a lot of things that we've had to go, you know, where they've said no, and then we've had to go back and go no, like let's yeah. relook at this. Yeah, like do your research. We've had our you know therapists put hours and hours of work into these reports. Um, uh, you're obviously not reading them. Mm. So yeah, everything that we have um, contested, we've ended up winning. Um, so that's been positive at least. But the fact that we've had to contest it in the first place is, you know, it's it's already a difficult journey that just yeah. it just adds that extra pressure. And I've seen so many parents um, whinge about the same thing. So it certainly hasn't just happened to us. And I think um, I feel that, like it's quite common. Yeah, look, most definitely. And I think that's the part that's for a lot of parents, the hardest part is that you have to fight for everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you need to you need to be the expert in whatever the diagnosis is. You need to be one step ahead the whole time. And you don't get to be the nice, friendly, kind, compassionate, caring person that you 
hope that people see you as because you've yeah. got to be a bulldog because you need to fight for your child. Oh, 100%. And, like, unfortunately, it's a case of the squeaky wheel mm-hmm. gets the oil. Yeah. And, um, you know, you don't want to have to be the squeaky wheel. You don't want to have to be jumping up and down like like a toddler in coals, yeah. you know. You want to be um, just, just to be able to go, hi, like, just following up in a friendly way. But, like, that just doesn't work. You have to take that tact of, like, almost being a bit of a bully. And yeah. it's... Um, you know, to, to get the results. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been a real pain in the butt. You know, it's just one of the things like at the moment where we're not going through any issues with them since COVID's hit, you know, we've just had plans roll over for the last couple Ah, of years and it's actually just been nice to like not have to worry about it. (laughs) Uh, But I know once they start having those in-person things again, that like, it's probably something catch me then and I'll probably be having to run a bit different. So you've got the NDIS stuff that you have to go through and that's, you know, been easier at the moment, but then you mentioned therapists as well. So what kind of therapy does Ari go to? Yeah, so Ari regularly uh, sees an occupational therapist, a physiotherapist. There are also like a lot of other moving parts in Mm -hmm. his therapy team. So like he will see dietitians, uh, he will see um, people that uh, look after his orthotics or his like AFOs. There will be, gosh, who else? He's got like a sleep therapist. Obviously, the 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 nurses and the team um, at PCH as well that he'll see. So there'll be like a heart specialist, lung specialist, um, the neurology team, the respiratory team, all all, all the teams. But in terms of regular all therapy, the teams, it's really yeah. Yeah, all the teams. Yes. Yeah, he has to see people for his teeth as well. I don't know if it's to do with his neuromuscular stuff, but he's got issues with those as well. Just throw it in. What? Look, why not, honestly? Um, and look, I totally get that you think, oh, yeah, do you know what? We've got another appointment at PCH. Which department is it with? I don't know. We'll see when we yeah. get there type of yeah. thing. just feel like you're juggling appointments. How do you do that when you have another child that's so close in age and so young yeah Yeah. and and I don't I'm not sure we haven't previously spoken before this um but like my eldest son uh during COVID as it just hit so May of 2020 um was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes oh so I did know uh, that and I'd forgotten (laughs) yes he has his own PCH oh god with the endocrinology team and stuff there so yeah, it's uh it's difficult, but like it's just my husband and I, we have fantastic places that we work for, which are very flexible and allow us to, you know, take turns taking kids to these hospital appointments. And you know, it's lucky with having work emails on your phone, or maybe it's not lucky. Maybe it's not, sure. yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, we're able to still sufficiently do our jobs and do the stuff that we need to for our kids it's as time's gone on a lot of therapy appointments now happen at school which frees up so much time for us like picking the kids up from school driving all the way to Kulbinia driving back to school or whatever it is that it might be so it's just taken it's taken some of it out which has um, freed up a lot of time for us yeah and so you didn't experience any resentment or anything like that with your oldest child that your youngest child was taking up so much of your attention? 
That's probably a question you would have to ask him. Yeah. I didn't have any resentment personally. I feel like when he got his own diagnosis, he felt like actually a bit of a celebrity, like I'm a part of the special club now. <laughs> he would walk up to people that he hadn't met before and be like, well, my brother's got muscular dystrophy, but I have type 1 diabetes. <laughs> so he wears his pump quite proudly. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I, it's... I think that's probably one of the benefits of having them close to, well, possibly one of the benefits of having them close together is he most likely doesn't remember anything other than this. No, no, very true. And, you know, he got his own diagnosis by the age of six, so quite young. So, I mean, as he gets older, he's not going to remember what his life was like before that prior to being diagnosed either. Yeah. Um, so it's like, in a, in a strange way, it's kind of a beautiful little bonding experience for them. Could they not you get know, magic tattoos? One, not one that you would ever wish <laughs> no. for your children to have, uh, but, like, it's something that's special and unique to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what kind of supports do you have for you to make sure that you actually have something left in the tank? Yeah, so um, as a part of the NDIS funding, we do have some, some like, you know, I don't know what the proper, I can't remember what the proper term is, but like we can have carers come every now and then like respite um, type care. So like that's, that's been like a lifesaver. Even if it's like once a fortnight, we might have someone come by for like three or four hours. My husband and I will go out. It doesn't even matter. It could just be to target. (laughs) Just stay there, (laughs) stay there, walk around, get some dinner. (laughs) But just um, it's like one night where, you don't have to do the the nighttime routine. Yeah. You get home, they're in bed. You can just sort of give them a kiss when you get home, and it's and it's done. But we've also got um, great family support, uh, which has been so um, integral, I think, to our sanity mm. and to our mental health. Um, to be able to go, you know, they did all the training, especially for the type one stuff. I mean, with Ari, he's always it's always been uh, you know you have to toilet him and you have to help feed him and those bits and pieces um it was a lot harder to sort of train with the type one stuff so um they did all the training for that and were so happy to tackle it and to be like you know what we know you guys need time so you know still have them for sleepovers you know you might just need to do you know if a line needs to be changed or something we're not very confident with that but for everything else um you know they're able to help so it's been yeah it's been we, we feel very very lucky and I think a lot of family members would shy away from that. Like it just, oh, yeah. it feels so foreign. It feels so scary. And what happens if I do it wrong? What happens if I make a mistake? Mm. Yeah. And with him being closer to nine now, he can do most of it himself. He's not overly confident, but like as time goes on and he becomes more confident with all of that stuff, you know, he'll be doing it himself and then it won't even be something that you really need to worry about. It's only if an alarm's going off and yeah. he's asleep. You've got to wake him up and feed him some jelly beans. Oh. But that's <laughs> <laughs> oh, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so what I guess if you if you were talking to somebody who whose child who they thought, you know, maybe there's something that isn't quite ticking the way that it should be with my child, what kind of advice would you offer them? I would definitely say that if you have a gut feeling, like just listen to it intuitively. I knew something was going on with 
Ashton, for example, sorry, that's my eldest son, for example, for about three weeks, something was off, something was not right. And um, I kept ignoring it uh, until I couldn't ignore it anymore. And when I finally, you know, took him to the doctor, it was like, you need to bring him to hospital like yesterday. Yeah. And so my advice would be like, if you feel something's up, like there is no harm in getting it checked. And secondly, like if you don't like the opinion that you get, if you still feel like something's not quite right, go see somebody else. I think, yeah, mums know best, I feel. There's just something every time that those feelings have happened and I've felt something's not quite right, it hasn't been. Um, And there's been something going on. So, yeah, trust your intuition um, would be my, my advice. And um, also like there's so much support groups and things like that on Facebook and, um, you know, like local organizations that you can get information and help from um, reach out to as many people as possible, talk to as many people as possible. It can feel very isolating, um, but there's a lot of people that are willing to willing to help. So, And I think that idea of trusting your intuition is so important. And we see, I don't know what's happened so that mums are being conditioned against trusting their instinct or trust you know we know our children the best because we spend so much time with them so if you know that something's wrong you need to you need to trust that and if the person the expert that you're going to fobs you off or you know go there's nothing wrong with getting a second opinion or a third opinion or a fourth opinion Mm. and you know just we have to be the people who advocate for our children because there's nobody else to do it other than, yeah. you know, obviously the other parent as well. Um, yeah. So not negating their role in this. but yeah. <laughs> I think early intervention is key, you know, um, especially with neuromuscular conditions, like the sooner that you know, the sooner that if there is particular treatment available for whatever type of neuromuscular condition that you have, um, the, the quicker you can get onto it and the quicker that you can put those therapies in place and those yeah. preventative measures in place. So um, yeah. every day, every hour, I think it just is so important. Yeah, most yeah. definitely. And how how has the muscular dystrophy actually impacted Ari? In terms of like how it's impacted him, he's um, got terrible contractures in his feet. Uh, so at this point he is not standing, which means that his bone density is suffering. Um, so he's also like in quite an L shape. Um, he can't straighten out. Yeah. So um, it's, he was supposed to have um, some muscles released, like his Achilles sort of muscles there released in his feet so that he can start weight bearing again. Uh, but with COVID and stuff, everything's just been put on hold. So it's just not something um, that that we don't really know where we stand, yeah. actually. It's something I really need to follow up, to be honest. But um, so, yeah, so he's like quite bent. Um, he gets a lot of muscle pain. Uh, so, you know, there'll be, you know, a lot of massages that will happen. Um, and, you know, sometimes if it's painful, he'll need like a shot of Nurofen or a shot of Panadol. But that's sort of um, how it's affecting him. Besides, obviously, like fatigue during meals is a huge thing and it's a constant battle. Like one kid's cheeseburger, like, will take an hour and a half to eat. He drinks these, like, fortini drinks. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those, but they're, like, supplement, high-calorie little chocolate milks. Yeah. 
Um, and even one of those revolting. takes over an hour to drink and he's like, oh, mum, I'm so full. It's 200 mils. It's yeah. like it's not even a cup. Yeah. Uh, so that's just how little his stomach is because he's just so he's slow so to eat yeah. that he hasn't, it's just not big enough yeah. to, you but know, he can, so that's he can yeah, feed one, himself. one of the, Sorry. He can feed himself? He can for a period as long as he can kind of put his elbow on the table and he has like that lever to yeah. be able to, you know, he's got his own little ways of yeah. helping himself. Like he can help himself to drink too, as long as he's got a drink bottle with handles and he can kind of do this action. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> Meal times are least favorite times for yeah. us. Do you yeah. go out and eat out at restaurants and things like that? We do. We do. Um, we get a lot of takeaways, like, yeah. as in takeaway containers to take yeah, home. That's what so I'm thinking. We, we do not have the time to sit there. But like, we definitely still do stuff like that because I think that's important. Um, like, I don't know. We enjoy it. Yeah. And he still gets to be a part of it and experience it. It's just, you know, we 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 would be sat there for three hours if he were to actually finish. Always takeaway containers. Yeah. <laughs> And does uh, how's he gone going to school? Yeah, good. So um, we're walking distance from school. It's about a 10, 12-minute walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when the weather's nice, uh, we walk down um, or they walk down with their neighbours around the corner. Uh, and when it's rainy, we just drop him in. We've got a wheelchair lift van. So we drop him in. Um, and, yeah, it's that side of things has been all right. So um, they- no one else can obviously pick him up from school or anything yeah. unless they leave the wheelchair at school and carry him out and then yeah. he's got to be in a in like a child seat um and it's got to be the full harness version yeah. he can't just be in a booster he just doesn't have the trunk support to sort of you know if they turn a corner he'll just, just keep going <laughs> yeah. straight over yeah so mainstream school mainstream school how yeah. did the teachers cope with it what was their response so far it's been fine uh we the school was built um only in the last three years this is their third year running mm-hmm. um so when the school was being built we met with the principal and made sure that the paths were wide enough and that there were things that you know to make sure that it was accommodating for children in wheelchairs because although so far he's been the only one i really doubt he'll be the only one you yeah. know for their for their whole time that they're there so at least he's you know paving the way and you know there's like accessible bathrooms and all of that sort of stuff so and it's it's, um it's things like that that people take for granted so Mm. the primary school that my eldest two went to uh they had you know there were ramps everywhere and there were the accessible toilets those types of things but she was in a wheelchair for a period of time and out of the six disabled toilets that there were at the school, there was actually only one that she could use. Because of the way they'd been set up, you could, it wasn't actually accessible for anybody who was in a wheelchair. So it was big oh. enough, but she couldn't actually manoeuvre anything around to be able to. And, and I think if you haven't lived through that kind of stuff of being able to go, yeah, I know you say you've got an accessible toilet, but who's it accessible for? Mm. You know, or... Yep, I understand that you need, you're trying to get your car in, but I've got a boot lift and if you park there, I can't get my child home. So (laughs) those types of things. Yeah, 100%. Been there. (laughs) (laughs) And we were were parked um, in the city once uh, and they've got these big sort of bays that are sort of up on the side of the road next to the 
the um the footpath yeah. um in some of the parts near like the entertainment center and stuff and um there was a concert on so someone decided just to come and park right up right up oh. behind us and it's got like a do not park within three meters because yeah. we've got a boot lift yeah and um we couldn't get out we were we were boxed in and this guy was at the sean mendez concert and we ended up like the the rangers ended up coming through when they allowed us to drive onto the footpath but yeah. it was a school night we were at a fundraising event oh. and um you know it was like 10 o'clock at night before we managed to get out it was an absolute just, pain in the butt <laughs> just what you want with two small children as well to have oh, them yeah. hanging around at night time yeah. because some and you also don't want to look like the one who's doing the wrong thing by having to drive in places that you shouldn't have to. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even realise it was an option that we could do that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they came through and they're like, look, just drive through here. And, you know, we followed their instructions. Yeah. But like, trying, to, trying to get these people out at that time of the night on a, you know, it was like a Wednesday or a Thursday or whatever it was. And, you know, it was a pain in the butt for them. It was a pain in the butt for us. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure the person who parked there wouldn't have even given it a second thought of like how much he could have been, you know, that's it. been an inconvenience to anybody else. Yeah. And I think unless you've used it and you know that, you just go, oh, sweet, look, I can get my car in there. Awesome. Don't necessarily go, yes, you can, but <laughs> it's going to mean that somebody else is completely disadvantaged mm. by that. So with that, so the school was good when, you know, checking out to make sure it was accessible. Just out of interest, were they more worried about Ashton with the type 1 diabetes? I don't think that I would say that they were worried. I think that they were very much, I think that they were like, oh, really? Like, you guys again? You hit the jackpot. All the people were like, why are you guys a second time? Yeah. So I think that they were just like, look, you know, we feel for you, so let, just let us know what we need to do. Like we'll make a this super accommodating school. I can't speak highly enough of the primary school that they're at. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so they jumped on. They did the training straight away. Um, you know, we got their personal mobile numbers and stuff, which is usually a no-go. Uh, but, you know, we were all, all of us were navigating this thing together yeah Uh, no one in our family has uh, a neuromuscular condition and no one in our family on either side has type 1 diabetes so I mean like both things were just totally just out of the blue um, and just new things for us to try and figure out so what is the what's the prognosis what what does this look like long term for Ari uh, we don't really have a proper prognosis for him. So this LMNA gene mutation, as far as I'm aware, and you can correct me if I'm wrong because um, we haven't looked in a while, but there was no other living person with the LMNA gene mutation, um, certainly not in the first few years that he was born. Yeah. I believe there was about 50 cases worldwide documented in history or something like that. It's so not the way you want your child making history, like is it? It's like one in a hundred million or, you know, something, something to that effect. Yeah. Um, it's just super, super duper rare. Um, I, I mean, I guess like, yeah, there's some people who don't even know what their condition is. So, I mean, I guess for us to at least have it have it written down that this is what it is I guess it's sort of helpful but um we were told as long as there's no lung and heart issues that he has the potential to live a long life I don't know if that means long in terms of 
healthy person long or if that means long in terms of neuromuscular condition long. Yeah. Um, I didn't really pry too much. I think everyone's time on this earth is uncertain. You can be hit by a bus. So I, I try not to think about that side of things yeah. too much. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm thinking, you know, 30s at least. That's that's where I'm, you know. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get a, a good 30 and we can reassess then who knows what sort of technology and research and all of that sort of stuff will be happening. Are you linked with Harry Perkins at all as a totally random kind of or parent institute? No, no. Huh. Just as a we random. We do a lot of stuff with um, Telethon and, yeah. the, and the Kids Institute of Research there. We're also like heavily um, linked with Muscular Dystrophy WA um, and that organisation, which has been like, you know, paramount in us getting our head around things and, you know, tackling our own mental health. You know, they offer like services to parents and stuff to that, you know, specialise in neuromuscular conditions so that you can, you know, speak to people who have helped, you know, families grieve and that type of thing. Um, yeah, so it's been it's been really um, really great getting to know. They're a great group of people. And I mean, I've, you've mentioned the grieving process a couple of times, and I think that it's there's no way to sort of describe it, the, except that the child that you thought that you were going to have, that yeah. child doesn't exist anymore. Yes, I. What I would you you paint this picture in your head of like what your child's life is going to be and then you know and, and that's quite it's quite it's quite ridiculous really but um you know oh, you're completely just romanticized that, like, i've got this beautiful idea of me my husband our three children and dogs walking beautifully through the park and stopping and yeah. feeding the duck that has never once happened so, yeah. <laughs> you know. but you get this idea in your mind of your perfect little family yeah and um you, you know and, and having an, a child who's who's not going to walk and who's not going to be able to to do a lot of physical things that you thought that they would be able to do. I mean, you just assume, you know, my husband and I walk normally and yeah. like that our kids would just walk normally too. Yeah. And, you know, the other one would just be able to eat bread and it wouldn't be an issue. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's like not the case. I mean, he eats bread. He still does. He's, yeah. just, he's still a normal kid. He just has to count the carbs and give yeah. insulin for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, so it's, it was grieving that like, yeah, uh, just the idea of that perfect family and image it, that that we had in our in our heads and that he would be able to join a soccer team and join a swimming team and be able to swim independently and feed himself independently and toilet independently and just all of those little bits and pieces and you add them up together and, you know, that, that wasn't the case in the end. Yeah. Will he... And I look, I know it's like asking how long's a piece of string um, and there are new things that are coming out all the time, but will he be able to toilet independently and is it likely that he will ever wait there? I have got absolutely no idea. I am not someone who's like being too optimistic with that. Um, not that I'm being a sceptic or, or anything, but... Who it could potentially happen in his lifetime? Who knows? I have got absolutely no idea. Um, I think with his condition being so rare, mm. is probably unlikely because why are they going to focus on something that's going to help one person when there's Duchenne or Becker or 
you know, limb girdle muscular dystrophy where there are thousands and thousands of people suffering. Um, so I think like being realistic, they're going to be looking for cures for those first. And then maybe there'd be as a branch out, yeah. you know, something or, or treatments at least, you know, and then it, it would end up being like a, like a sub, yeah. you know, a sub effect of that. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not overly optimistic. And so like, I'm quite real with Ari in that, like when he says, well, when I end up walking and I'm just like, well, just don't focus on that as being a thing, because like, if you don't, That's is okay. that, is that going to be a problem for you? And, you know, you might always be in a wheelchair. So like, let's not try to think too much into it. Not that I'm trying to. That's a know, really hard it's, line. It's on to... his parade. Yeah. But, um, I, it's, it's, I, I, yeah, it's, it's just, I'm, I'm not trying to like, be a dream ruiner or anything, but I'm just trying to be realistic. Like, and it might happen, but it also might not. So it's just keeping him more being like, are you okay being in a wheelchair? And he'll be like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, so well, that's, let's focus on that. Like, let's just focus on now and let's not think too much into the future. We'll just tackle this day at a time. Yeah. But he has just, now, I think I just saw something. He's just done something that was unexpected. Like he's reached a milestone that you hadn't necessarily anticipated yes so he um was able um through therapy to sort of be in a laying position and get himself into a sitting up position yeah which was just like not something at all that we thought was going to be achievable in his lifetime and um you know he managed to get himself into a certain position where he could do it um which was like really amazing um for someone who has his whole life been had, like, we have to sit him up. Yeah. Um, and then he can kind of wiggle around, but he could never get himself into that position first. Um, it's not something that he does very often. It takes it out of him. Yeah. Um, but, like, it's it's just nice to know. And I think he feels like, you know, he's done a really great job when he does stuff like that. Like, Did you cry? Um, great for his self-esteem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's that, yeah. it's that step for him towards that independence that he can actually get himself to sitting up and then, you know, under his own steam and then if he wants to bum shuffle where he wants to go to, he can do that. Yeah. So that's, it's just super exciting. It is. It is yeah. for sure. At, out of interest, how many hours of therapy does he do? Is it each week, each fortnight? Um, it would only be like a couple I would say like, yeah, only a couple of hours in terms of with the actual therapist. And then, you know, there's there's bits and pieces that we might do at home. Um, Honestly, it's probably, if I'm honest, like a a bit less since he's gotten older, he's more interested to just sit and play play on his iPad with his friends. (laughs) They call each other on kids' messages and, you know, he's got his own little group of gaming friends and him and his brother love doing that together. And so... It's sort of get home, you do your homework, then you get to play with your friends. And yeah. And yeah. so he has settled into school and it hasn't been an issue that he's in a wheelchair and he's, you know, hasn't experienced no. any of those fears it's, that you had. Yeah. It was something I obviously worried about a lot. And look, I, I'd be lying if I were to say that there was no worry left because they're still high school yeah. yet. And that's when I feel like the bullying is bad. And, you know, that's when kids can be quite nasty and start projecting their own internal insecurities onto other people but um like in terms of like his little friendship group like he's a bit of a superstar at his school he's like a little celebrity um, everyone knows his name 
he gets mostly, I would say like 99% positive attention. Kids love him and he's got a really gorgeous uh, personality. He's very outspoken. He is very much like if he's, if there's something wrong, he will let you know. Mm. Uh, he's not afraid to tell it as it is. So, uh, so far it's been all right. Like I think we're so okay because he's so okay. Mm. And that's, that's a nice thing because, like, if you don't have to worry about it, it's it's nice to not be wasting your energy on that. That's it. And yeah. now, was he a telethon child? No. he's um He's been in a few telethon ads and yeah. stuff. But, no, he hasn't been, like, a nominator. Oh, sorry. He has been nominated this year. We, we don't know if he's been accepted, but he did have a nomination this year. So... I think I've seen him in the ads for the telethon. Yeah. Did you have any kind of second thoughts about whether or not to do that? And similarly for the, he's been in the ads for the Ability Centre as well, I think. So did that, did you have any thoughts or concerns around that? No, we didn't. And as he's gotten older, we ask him as well, like, because we get asked to be included in a lot of research stuff and sleep studies and all sorts of things. So we always say to him, we've been asked to do this or we've been asked to be in an ad or whatever it might be. Do you want to do it? Yeah. And he will say, yep, or no. And yep, then we will I'm go a superstar. <laughs> yeah, but he loves, he loves being in ads. He loves being on TV. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's that's exciting. So and he's got yeah. such a gorgeous beaming smile. He does. He yeah. really does. Yeah. You are incredibly positive and light to talk to. How on earth are you still this optimistic? <laughs> I learnt with a lot of therapy in <laughs> at the start that like me being negative about the situation is not going to change a single thing. So um, it was just me taking a page out of Ari's book, to be totally honest with you, like just be positive unless there's something, you know, catastrophic and really awful. Um, Like right now things are okay. Yes. He's in a wheelchair. Yes. He has struggles, but he is happy. He is like healthy for him at this stage. You know, we're not in and out of hospital. He caught COVID, which was my worst nightmare. Uh, I stressed about that for two years, like crying and Mm. inconsolable. Like he's going to die if he gets this thing. And he got it easier than me. And like, (laughs) you know, like he just, um, like, yeah, he, he's just, he's not, if he gets a cold, it's not causing any major issues and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So I'm just like, at this stage, like, I don't really feel like I have too much to worry about, you know, as long as we stay on top of stuff for the kids and, you know, he keeps being a, a happy little boy. Like if that light changes, then I'm going to have to focus on that and, you know, make sure that he gets, you know, hopefully back to what he was. But um, at this stage, like, if he's happy, I'm happy. And you mentioned support groups. So you mentioned um, MDWA. Mm-hmm. Um, any other supports or, you know, that you, anything that you could recommend or where you think, you know, this place is awesome? Yeah, I really, for us personally, that's, that's all we've sort of, um, in terms of neuromuscular mm. stuff, like that's really all that we reached out to. 
So that's all I can recommend. Uh, but they look after a lot of neuromuscular conditions, not just muscular dystrophy. So, I mean, there's a lot of people with SMA um, and stuff that, you know, under that same umbrella yeah. um, and different types of some of the other neuromuscular conditions, which I can't name. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of people, like there are a lot of people that they that they all cater to. And then depending on what state you're in will depend on, every state has their own like mdwa yeah so um you know all i can say i mean i can just assume that they're going to be as good as it is over here but um you know reach out they have particularly for us they've got mum days or like you know female carer days there's male carer days there's school holiday programs for the kids there's all sorts of things to go out and connect with other parents or you know for the kids to go and connect with other kids in wheelchairs because you know with him being the only one at his school it's like not very often that he will see someone else in a wheelchair especially children so um it's like really cool for him to go hang out with other kids that you know obviously because they don't have that physicality they're all like right into their ipads and you know games and (laughs) online games and stuff so it's like a cool thing for them to connect with and i suppose you won't he won't know any different but that he's the only child at his school who's in a wheelchair but he's the only person that is alive with this particular condition like that's that's even more isolating yeah yeah, that got me down a lot at the start. Like I used to drink a lot of wine over. <laughs> I don't drink anymore. Found <laughs> therapy's cheaper eh? <laughs> and more and healthier. That self pity in a bottle of wine, just um, you know, as I said, through that that grief period at the start, um, when I didn't know, I, I just didn't know how to digest it to start with until I just you know had a bit of a had a bit of a wake up call and was just like, look, this is just not a healthy thing to do. Like you need to be healthy for your kids. Like you drowning your sorrows is not achieving anything positive. Yeah. And um, I just completely lost my train of thought just then. Um, gosh, what? Um, isolating. <laughs> isolating, being the only person with this. Yeah. So um, I, I had a big cry to a bunch of Duchenne mums because they would always go on these like, you know, dinners or away yeah. together and stuff. And so I ended up being like, can someone invite me? I know, like, I don't have a kid with Duchenne, but, like, but there's no one else to go away with. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I've got literally no one else. Yeah. <laughs> so they did. And, you know, it was a lovely experience. And I've been invited to more since then. But I think, you know, they probably didn't realise how isolating it was. Yeah. Um, but then I also understand, like, I they're going to be speaking a different language to yeah. like what I'm going to be experiencing. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. The experience was the experience. It was, you know, it was fine, but like until there's someone else with Ari's type, um, there are a few kids with congenital, but again, a different umbrella. So the, the congenital, and I know congenital generally means, um, you know, for, like being passed on from the parents, but, because Ari's was a gene mutation, um, it just happened while the genes were splicing in utero. So um, it wasn't um, anything that's come from my husband or myself yeah. or our genes. It's just bad luck, really. Oh, yeah. yeah. We won the genetic lottery. Yeah, I was just thinking, <laughs> oh, it's not the lottery you want to win, is it? 
Oh, I know. No. We were uh, we were like, well, thank God we stopped at two. Could you imagine what our third would have ended up like? <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> so yeah. if you were talking to somebody who has a friend or relative who is in this position that you're in, so mm-hmm. what would you be telling that friend? How can they be supportive of that mum or that dad that's that's going through what you're going through, what you live with? I would say, um, well, in, yeah, if you're talking in terms of supporting the parents, like I, th- I would say they probably definitely need support. Um, I feel like it's important to not really treat them any different, but if there is anything that you're, it, especially if it's during that early diagnosis stage where you are going through that period where, you know, your life's just been turned upside down, food never helps. Bring lots of food. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, like when you have a baby and people cook your food, bring food. Mm. That'll always help. No. Um, oh gosh. What, what, what advice would I give? I guess just, just be there, just be there. Um, check in regularly, check in, make sure they're all right. Um, they're going to be obviously going through their own, their own journey. And it certainly doesn't help uh, hurt. Sorry to have, to have people check in and see how you're going um, it's obviously going to be different for other people. Some people might want to be left alone. I guess just respect whatever their wishes are. A lot of the time, there's not really much you can do except for be there if they ask. So, yeah, yeah, that would be my only advice. And I think recognizing what you said as well that this is a really isolating journey. So yeah. trying to find ways that you can actually bridge that gap, so that they're yeah. not feeling like they have to do all of this alone, and you may not be able to you know, may not be able to relate to what they're going through, but you can empathise. And Yeah, I mean, the day that we got our diagnosis, the first thing we did was jump on Dr. Google and go, what is muscular dystrophy? And like, is there support? Like muscular dystrophy support Australia is yeah. what we like typed into Google, uh, which we ended up creating a Facebook page called Muscular Dystrophy Support Australia because there wasn't a muscular dystrophy ah. support Australia. Um, so yeah, that's a Facebook group that my husband and I are the admin to it's there's, we don't do anything. It's just really a place that people can join. And then if they have questions, they're able to ask and other people who have someone in their life, or they might be the person themselves with muscular dystrophy can answer or point in the right direction. Yeah. Um, but there was lacking help. I feel when we sort of first started in terms of like, local forums Mm. um, for people discussing stuff Um, so yeah we took that upon ourselves to sort of start something there but um we the first thing we did was um mdwa popped up so we called piper who's like their communications manager there and we were like oh hey we're just at the pub having a pint of beer like crying over our uh, (laughs) (laughs) new journey that we're going to be going down and can we come in and have a chat and like find out like what do we what do next? We, Where do we what go? We can do to support our son. Yeah. Um, because we've got absolutely no idea. So, um, yeah. When you got the diagnosis, I'm tr- I know that I'm. my intention is to wrap up, so I've got to stop asking questions, but yeah. I'm really interested. <laughs> when you got the diagnosis, did they give you anything or was it just your son has this rare version of muscular dystrophy? Yep. Off you go, on your own now. Mm-hmm. That was exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, there was no, 
I mean, I mean, but at the same time, I kind of, it's not like here's a bunch of brochures because yeah. it's like, it's just so rare. So, I mean, I, I, I don't really know if it could have been delivered much better than it was. I often think here's what it is, but here's some support services that are around. You're going to have yeah. questions, digest it. And when you do, here's some places to go where you can try and access, which. Yeah. But I guess like you would all, yeah, that would be really handy if it was like, look, I'm going to send you an email. Yeah. Here's a couple of links. Here's some things that you yeah. can look at. That would definitely be beneficial mm. to any newly diagnosed people. And like, yeah, if there are services like, you know, MSWA is like this monster that is just like the MD is like this and, and MSWA is like, <laughs> you know, this big, huge giant and, you know, there's so much support and there's so much help. But, yeah, if there was something like that, yeah, gosh, I hope they end up doing that for yeah. sure. In the medical world, it's they. there's a bit of a disconnect yeah. to the emotion. There's a disconnect. Um, so the deliverance. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's sort of there's a medical model and then there's the psychosocial model and the yep. two just don't ever communicate. No, <laughs> so. no they don't. They yeah. don't. I think, and, you know, when you're – the head of neurology at PCH and you're delivering these things every day, like you, you would have to disconnect from it because otherwise you wouldn't yeah. really want to do your job, would yeah. you? It would just be so depressing, um, you know, delivering that sort of news to people. I mean, it's not like that you're going to have many people like cheering when, you know, you're newly diagnosed. You, It's, I mean, unless you've been waiting for a really, I, really long time. I was about to say, um, some. I think sometimes there is that thing of, now, like you, there's almost a celebration of it's got a name. I yeah. can, you know, and I'm not big on labels at all, but I know that for some people that getting that label is a relief and it feels like there's a weight off the shoulder because now it's something and I can put it yeah. in a box and then that's a box I can deal with. And also um, having that label means that you have access to support yeah. because until you have a label, yeah. A lot of the time trying to get NDIS yeah. funding or funding for anything, you'll be funding everything for yourself. Yeah. And, you know, the therapies Ferrari, you know, some years are $30,000 or more, yeah. you know, for all of the things that he needs. And, like, there are a lot of families that wouldn't be able to afford that. Yeah. Well, um, I'd probably say most families couldn't afford that. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, you know, that, that helps a lot. Yeah. Uh, with you know being able to then walk that path being able to apply for an ACROD permit yeah. and all of that sort of stuff that you know most people don't have to have to do yeah so. so before we wrap up today are there any final thoughts or anything else that you would that you want to share no I oh gosh just I guess like if you're if you are newly diagnosed um like it's not all doom and gloom. There's still a lot of fun and there's still a lot of positivity. And I think like if you and and your partner or whoever it is that, you know, with your children, if you're still doing as many like normal activities as possible and having as much fun as possible, like life can still be really good and really positive. Um, you, you get out what you put in and like having a disability doesn't have to, you know, take that away. So, yeah. So life may look different. But it's not over. Yes, exactly. Yeah, perfect. that's a perfect summary. <laughs> You've Thank done this before. <laughs> 
But thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate that you were so open to me asking some questions about things that I didn't know about. And um, so I really, really appreciate you sharing your your story and, and Ari and Ashton's story as well. No worries. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of A Hidden World of Women, a podcast brought to you by Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. For more information on the services we offer, head to whws.org.au or Women's Health and Wellbeing Services on YouTube and social media. Looking forward to the next episode where we uncover the hidden world of women.